0: Today this is Mark Pesci and welcome to series 10 of This Week in Startups Australia. In Series 10, Twista has a singular focus. We're identifying and sharing the story of Australia's world-changing startups. The startups, when they go from zero to one, really do change the world. And not just the startups, but the founders and the investors. Australia is stepping up with some of our brightest sparks working hard to change the world. So come along the journey as we shine a bright light on another world-changing startup. They come from fields as diverse as agriculture, housing, energy, and defense. These startups at scale truly will change the world. Who's next on our list? You're going to be very surprised. Coming right up on this episode of This Week in Startups Australia. This Week in Startups Australia is sponsored by User Testing. With User Testing, you'll understand it from your customer's perspective. Get real-time feedback real fast. Put yourself in your customer's shoes. Visit usertesting.com/twista for a free trial. User Testing: Real human insight. This Week in Startups Australia is also sponsored by Zendesk. Zendesk helps startups build lasting customer experiences from the ground up with the Zendesk for Startups program. Learn more at zendesk.com twistup This Week in Startups Australia is sponsored by OurCrowd. OurCrowd finds companies with the greatest growth potential and brings them to you. They believe in their deals and invest in them too. Join the fastest growing venture capital investment community at ourcrowd.com Australia. changing it's quite a word it's a lot to live up to it means more than one thing it could be about a great scientific discovery it could be an amazing technical breakthrough it could be a radically new way of doing something and this world changing startup very much falls into that category because if it works at scale it will change a lot now before we take a deep dive into this business let's review the four metrics of world changing startups metric one An idea that actually makes the world better metric two it is within the realm of scientific and technical achievability metric three it is economically rational that means there's a business model for it and metric four there is manageable execution risk that's the filter through which we're viewing all of these world-changing startups now the fifth of these it is a bit of an exception because this one isn't an australian startup yet it's american has big plans for australia and it's not normally what we think of when we think of a tech startup although it is exactly that and industries it's a defense startup which well those two words don't appear together very often but then palmer lucky has never been one to say never back in 2012 at the age of 19 he founded vr startup oculus and breathed life into a comatose vr sector Oculus was bought by Facebook just two years later for $3 billion. And before that, Palmer had already been working on defense technologies. He saw the outlines of a huge problem, one that would require a world-changing approach to
1: fix. There's a few things. uh, Not not a lot of people know this, but before I started Oculus, I worked in the Mixed Reality Lab at the Institute for Creative Technologies in the University of Southern California, which is an Army-affiliate research center working on programs like the Army's Brave Mind project, uh, treating veterans with PTSD. And it's not that people don't know it because it's a secret. It's not a secret. I actually talk about it all the time. It's just the media doesn't talk about it all of that much. I think that military applications of any technology just aren't what most mainstream outlets spend their time writing about. Um, And so, So I was actually familiar with virtual reality technology being used in the military before I thought about doing anything else. And that had always stuck with me. So Oculus did some work with the DoD. I was really proud of it. But what got me interested in starting Anderol, uh, which is my new company, is uh, three things that I noticed at the same time. The first was that even as our adversaries like Russia and China invested in cutting edge technologies like artificial intelligence and robotics in their military, uh, I saw the United States falling behind. Our major defense primes were not equipped with the incentives or the uh, or the talent that they needed to build these technologies. Uh, so that's that's one issue. The people who really build the stuff for our militaries were, were, were not able to pull it off. Second, the companies that could pull it off, the ones that had a near monopoly on talent in areas like artificial intelligence, sensor fusion, networking, uh, you, know, what, you name it, uh, the big tech corporations were almost entirely opting out of working with the Department of Defense. And there's a lot of reasons for that. Some of it is ideological. Some of it is driven by a desire to not upset China, where their manufacturing and investment is, is largely based. And then at the third, and the third issue was: normally in a market like this, where the people who are doing it can't, and the people who could won't, you would see startups joining to kind of disrupt things. But for, you know, there's only been two defense unicorns in 30 years. It's almost impossible to raise money for a defense startup because of that. So it's hard to raise money. It's hard to hire good people. It's hard to make a difference. And at least in the United States, we haven't had a major success story in the defense industry. In decades, and so nobody wants to get into it, and nobody will invest in it. And th- those three things together made me realize that someone needed to start a company that had a different business model that would use its own money to decide what to build, how to build it, when it's done. Bypass all of the government morass, all the government red tape. Bypass the years or decades of slowdown that that can introduce, and unabashedly put the best people in the world to work on the most important problems in the world. Which I think are largely defense defense problems, and uh, that that was that was how I decided to start Anduril. I started it right after Facebook fired me because I knew there was nothing more important I could be doing.
0: So, where that's the case, then um, what do you do about that? I mean, is it? I mean, why aren't these defense contractors then purchasing companies that have strengths in AI or things like that? Is there are there structural reasons why the primes are not? St- working to stay ahead of the curve.
1: You're exactly right. It's almost entirely structural. It's not like these companies are full of people who don't want to make a difference or who don't care about these issues. The problem is that these companies are a slave to the incentives that governments have created for them. And so most con, most defense uh, technology development these days is done on what's called a cost-plus contracting basis. So a cost-plus contract is where you get paid for all the time, all the materials, and a fixed percentage of profit on top of that. Let's say 3 4 5%. The problem with that is that you now make more money when you work slower. You make more money when you work with more people. And also, why, why would I even come up with Ways to solve a problem in a more efficient way. If I'm going to make more money by figuring out how to do it in a less efficient way, it's an incentive issue. We've we've given these companies a reason to be slow and to be overly bureaucratic and to build the biggest possible thing that they can come up with, uh, even if they don't do it consciously. You know, it, every every organism follows its incentives, and that's the opposite of what a good company could be should be. Right? Like if I'm selling something. Uh, that I made for money and then I'm trying to sell it somewhere where it creates value. I want to get it done as quickly as possible. I want to get it from zero to 95% quality as quickly as possible with as few people as possible. And I want to make it reliable too. This is another issue. A lot of defense companies actually make more money when their systems break all the time because they also make money repairing them and selling parts for them. And so why would anyone be incentivized to make a reliable system? Now, all, people are in, people want to do it out of you know wanting to do the right thing and because there's program requirements, but that doesn't mean that they're still fighting against the natural financial incentives when they do that. Uh, and so that's I, I think that's really the the, the crux of the issue. And why don't these companies buy companies that work a different way? Well, they're publicly traded corporations that fit into a certain asset category. Publicly traded defense companies they have very narrow profit margins. They grow very slowly. Uh, They don't own most of their IP. The government pays for everything. They're not in a financial position to go out and start buying high-risk startups that use their own money to build things because that's not what their investors gave them money to do. Uh, That's really the biggest issue is the leadership in these companies, to a certain degree, is paralyzed by the fact that they cannot change their asset category from that of very safe hedge against the consumer markets to high-risk, high-growth, rapid innovating technology company. It's just, it's not in the cards.
0: This is the core of a world changing need. So that's a big tick. And although some people will dispute the need for defense on ideological grounds, and that's completely reasonable, for most people, defense seems both reasonable and necessary. To learn that the way we do it from a technology perspective is no longer a fit to purpose, that's a problem. And it creates an opportunity. When we come back, we'll talk to Palmer about the shape of that opportunity and its achievability. You're listening to This Week in Startups Australia. Experience what your customer experiences with user testing. Whether you're launching a new product Prototype or marketing campaign, you get video feedback straight from the people you want to reach most. The user testing human insight platform lets you understand it all from their perspective, and it allows you to target your exact audience, ask any question or request to perform tasks, and most valuably, get a window into their world. Unlike focus groups, which can take weeks or even months to deliver results, with user testing, you get to see real reactions and hear real opinions really fast, in real time, at the speed business demands. Very quickly, you get insights into what's working and what's not. So you can adjust your message, refine your UI, and understand exactly how people are responding to and interacting with your product, service, or brand. The result? You feel what your customer feels, so you can build the best experience imaginable. For a free trial, visit usertesting.com slash twista. User testing, real human insight. Welcome back to This Week in Startups Australia. We're doing a deep dive into our fifth world-changing startup, Anderil Industries. Palmer Lucky discovered a defense sector no longer fit for purpose, no longer striving for technical leadership or even excellence. So how does Anderil Industries fix that problem? Is it even possible to do so?
1: There's a lot of things that we do different, but I think probably the two most important are what I said earlier. We make Anderil a place where really smart people want to come to work. Like We we pay them well. We put them in a good environment. We give them a responsibility. We give them the ability to lead small teams to having big impact without waiting for the government to pay for everything. And that leads into the second thing that we do that's different, which is Android uses our own money to decide what to build, how to build it, when it's done, and then we sell it to the customer. This is the way almost every business in the whole world works except for the defense space. So what we're doing is not a radical business model. It's not like we invented you know subscription, you know, video or something like this. Is, it's it's just we're doing it the way everyone else already does it. But I don't think anyone has ever thought of defense
0: procurement in terms of product market fit before.
1: No, I I don't think so. And I think also they have generally not thought of it in terms of where the low-hanging fruit is. Like one of the things that we're doing is trying to pick the places where a small company can have a big impact. So like I'm not trying to be an aircraft carrier startup or a nuclear submarine startup. Well, maybe that, but... We'll, we'll come to the nuclear submarines in a minute, but go on. But what we're doing is really saying, where are the areas where currently the DoD is spending tons of money, where we can come in and do something much cheaper using our own money that is superior? Like the, One of the first pages of our pitch deck, the first Anderil pitch deck, said Anderil will save taxpayers hundreds of billions of dollars a year by making tens of billions of dollars a year. And I guess that, that leads to maybe a third difference our goal is to reduce the amount of money that needs to be spent on defense. I think we can be much more efficient. We can use the money we've already allocated much better. And in the end, we should be able to even reduce defense spending while still increasing capability simply by prioritizing the right systems and the right way of doing things with the right incentives. I'm formulating a question here, which is, does that mean that Andruil is pioneering a type of defense that is fast, cheap and out of control. You know, I I think the only reason that yeah, like fast, yes, cheap, yes. The great thing about the out of control part is that we're using our own money. You know, so if 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 we're if if we're spending on nonsense that doesn't go anywhere, great, it's out of our own pocket. It's going to failure, it's not a boondoggle for the taxpayer. I I'm I'm personally fine with people going out and burning up their money on on dumb, dumb larks. You know, the p- people do that all the time. Uh, the, the issue is that when, is when taxpayers are required to pay for it and not just one time, but over and over and over and over again, which is currently what we've been doing. Uh, but yeah, you know, I, I think you're, you're probably right. You know, maybe I, I think there's people, let me put it this way. If the government was working the way we were, People probably would say that it's fast and <laughs> fast and cheap and out of control. But luckily, it's it's our it's our money, it's my money, and our investors' money, and we we uh, we we've, we've currently made the most of it.
0: All right, let's now break this down into specifics.
1: What specific products is Andro making? What have you built that you're selling? I and mean, we're building a huge suite of products. So we we don't have the luxury of many companies where we can focus on just one thing and really dialing it to the absolute utmost of polish. Uh, We have to build a bunch of different systems because the only way we're going to be the next major defense prime, the next major defense contractor, is if we're able to tackle a whole bunch of different projects. There's just simply not enough money in any one vertical for a company to achieve scale only tackling one. So we build unmanned aerial vehicles uh, from surveillance drones to Uh, aerial interceptors that knock other drones out of the sky. We build ground-based systems that tell you where all the vehicles, where all the animals, where all the boats, where all the drones are at all times, communicating with each other and making sure that all the humans and all the machines have the right information at the right time. Uh, We build underwater vehicles uh, where they are able to dive up to 6,000 meters deep all the way to the bottom of any part of the ocean that doesn't end in trench or crevasse. Uh, And, you know, those are those are really powerful tools for understanding what's happening in the sea, following things that are happening to the sea, scanning what's going on. Um, we also are building a lot of tools that allow us to control what's going on in the electromagnetic domain. So jamming things, sniffing things, hacking things, going you know, g- going after things under this broad umbrella of the term electronic warfare, where you know, – you, you, I think you're you're going to end up having entire conflicts in the future, and not, I don't mean whole wars, but there's certainly going to be battles of the future that take place solely in the electromagnetic domain, which is which is pretty fascinating. Uh, it's a it's a it's a it's a sci-fi idea for sure. Um, and we're also I can't talk about the details, but getting into getting into areas like uh, space vehicles and also some really interesting, very fast, very capable air vehicles and. Uh, we've we've got, some, got some stuff coming in the near future that people will want to keep an eye on. But I guess the, the, the broad strokes of what we're doing is we're making machines that allow people to understand everything that's happening so that they can make really good decisions and then respond with the best possible tools. And we're making technology that is a part of every step of that.
0: So Andrew is taking a new approach to creating and selling defense products. It's almost exactly the opposite of the model that's practiced today by the massive defense primes. And it's all about product-market fit, which means that they're working with technologies that they already know how to use and bring to market, which is a tick for technical achievability. And product-market fit also implies economic rationality, another tick, although not every Andruil product will pass that test. Palmer says that. So as long as they have enough fingers in enough pots, they will make profits. Now, what about execution risk? We'll hear about that and the geopolitical stakes when we return. You're listening to This Week in Startups Australia. The fastest growing companies have great products and great customer service. You build the great product and Zendesk will help you build great customer experiences that make your customers come back, just like Jason Calacanis. Jason has a very public obsession with amazing customer service, and he relies on Zendesk for his launch syndicate. Jason's limited partners use Zendesk to reach out to him about each of his deals. Zendesk also handles inbound inquiries from startups looking for investors. Zendesk helps Jason provide the kind of customer service he demands. Apply for the Zendesk for Startups program to get their industry-leading customer service software free for six months. You'll also get access to Zendesk's community of startup founders and partners, plus dedicated onboarding guidance and support. Zendesk has everything you need to deliver the amazing customer experiences that will make your product a success. To learn more about Zendesk for startups, visit zendesk.com twista. Welcome back to This Week in Startups Australia. We've identified the fifth of our world-changing startups and rural industries. Execution risk is something that needs to be considered through a different lens where defense is concerned, because it's a question both of geopolitics and the cultural norms that have led people away from working in defense for an entire generation, even while more and more and more people are working in tech. I asked Palmer about that.
1: So... I think that traditionally the idea of – since the end of the Cold War, the idea has been to get people by saying, oh, well, aren't you patriotic? Don't you want to help your country? Don't you want to work on these cool problems? But that only goes so far, right? Like everyone who is working in the defense industry as it currently exists is doing so because they think it's important, because they want access to these really cool, important problems. But most of these jobs are not jobs that engineers want to have. They're not – they don't pay as much as they would make in the private sector elsewhere. Uh, they're usually stuffy workplaces. They're working on very long timelines where it will take years for their work to get fielded, if ever. A, an interesting statistic here. Uh, Northrop Grumman in the 60s, uh, the av- well, the average Northrop engineer worked on an average of seven airplanes during his time at Northrop. And today, do you know what that number is? The average is 1.1. It's yeah. So, so yeah, cause you have to work on one, right? It can't be zero. Uh, and so the average guy, basically the other way to look at it is it used to be the average guy got to work on seven different things in his tenure there. Now the average is you work on one thing and one out of 10 people will get to work on a second. That is why good engineers don't work in defense because why would they do that when they can start their own company and move quickly and have a huge impact? Or they could go to a big tech company and they could work on all kinds of cool projects and the, you know, not be held back artificially. What we've done at Anderil is not, you know, we don't have a, a magic way of getting people to believe in our mission A hundred times more than any other company. For the most part, we say, listen, you come here, you'll be allowed to work fast. You won't be held back by the government contracting process. You won't have to wait five years in between grants to try something out, and you're not allowed to work on it unless the government's paying for every penny of the test. I mean, that's where people want to work. That's what the defense industry needs. You asked, what can we do to get people into the industry? We need to make defense industry jobs the type of jobs that people want to have.
0: What happens if we don't do that?
1: And we're screwed because other countries do not have this problem. Uh, I, I mean, sure, they, they have it to some extent. But like in Russia and China, working in the defense industry has prestige, and it is a good job to work in. Like Relative to all of the other options in particular, it's a really good place to work. And so they, they, if we can't shift it around, I think, one, you're going to see uh, all of our best talent continue to build you know, whimsical playthings. Up until the moment that our entire world crumbles, I mean, this this is what I think you've seen in in Europe in particular. There was this idea that, uh, that, are you familiar with the concept of the end of history? I I, you know, I mentioned it in my in my all in talk, and you know I talked about how in 1909 the best selling book of the year was about the end of history, and so there's this it's this alluring idea that economic ties will deter violent conflict, and people keep falling for it. And you, I, I know a lot of people where they're like, oh. Your defense is so passe, there's no reason to work on it, you know, there's never going to be another major conflict. And I, I think what's going to happen if people don't recognize how important this area is, is they're going to be building you know, entertainment devices and gadgets and gizmos right up until the moment that the Western manufacturing machine falls apart, our entire economy falls apart. And then we're going to say, wow, how did we let ourselves get here? And uh, unfortunately, it'll have been obvious.
0: Does it take an existential threat like Russia's invasion of Ukraine to focus minds and, more importantly, to focus budgets on the importance of defense?
1: I think to a certain extent it does. Like, one thing I've said for many years, uh, you know, when I was starting Anderol, a lot of people really rejected the entire premise of building a modern defense company. They're like, oh, this is a huge waste of time. There's no reason. There's never going to be these major conflicts. Russia invading Ukraine has at least ended that ridiculous line of thinking. Like, I'm not a, remember, I'm not a fortune teller here. I've had people say, wow, Palmer, it's incredible that you saw this all coming. You know, you're a real visionary. I'm like, no, no, anyone with a brain saw it coming unless you are purposely doing pretzels to contort your way around the way that humanity has been for thousands of years. Like, I, I did not predict the future. I just looked at the past and assumed that, <laughs> that things weren't going to change. Um, I, I feel like it it's probably not enough to change people's thinking in the long run, though. You know, people, I think that the Ukraine conflict has definitely changed their thinking. But it's really easy for people to forget about it. I think you're already seeing this, you know, as you get less news coverage, less people talking about it on social media. I wouldn't surprise me if a year or two from now, if this conflict drags on, that a lot of the people who were so shocked by the conflict will kind of go back to saying, well, that was just a one-off event. You know, that, that, that was a black swan event that happens once in a century. It's never going to happen again. And that's, that's the mistake they're making. The mistake they're making is thinking that this is a Putin problem rather than a human nature and human incentives problem.
0: Rather than a power problem, and we'll, we, will, we will be coming to that. All right, do you reckon that Underul is leading a broader pivot toward, and actually, I would say back toward, technology as being a center of the defense sector?
1: I'd like to think so. I mean, know, yeah, I, I can't say it without sounding arrogant, but it's definitely true. I mean. There's a lot of other defense companies that have sprung up in the wake of Anduril finding success and fundraising success, but also sales success. I mean, we've proven that a new company can win major programs of record that Congress funds as a line item in their budget. And we've done it multiple times. I mean, that, that hadn't been done since the end of the Cold War. And so, us proving that has allowed a lot of other companies to pop up in the ecosystem. And the more companies there are, the Easier it is going to be for us to change the entire defense ecosystem. I've I, I've often joked that our uh, you know our peers have raised more money off our success than we have, uh, and uh, I, I hope that continues to be true. Because what I would like to see is a defense ecosystem of hundreds of specialized companies, each the leader in their respective area, rather than what it currently is, which is like five or six. I think it's five companies. I think it's five companies. Uh, in the United States get over 70% of the revenue. I mean, that, that, that's absolutely wild that you would have that kind of distribution. It's almost certainly not the correct one.
0: You can't get away from defense, even in a very long and peaceful period that followed the end of the Cold War. The execution risks in defense are fail-to-execute risks, where the opportunity cost is quite literally life-threatening. And that's all well understood. But whether the Anduril Industries model of a fast, cheap, and out-of-control defense technology sector, whether that's well understood, no one can say that yet. What we can say is that what we have today has stopped working. I mean, look, the nuclear submarines won't be in Australia until 2040, and that's the risk. Is it an execution risk? Not until an attack, and then suddenly it is. So that's our final tick. Anduril Industries is our fifth world-changing startup. Now, one more thing. Palmer Lucky spoke to Twister because he's on the hunt for engineering talent here in Australia. All right, final question you're going to pitch to. My listeners M- might want to get a job with you,
1: right? What do you say to them? What is the offer? If you want to work in defense, Androll is the best place to do it. We will give you room to grow. We'll give you room to move fast, budget to do interesting things, and we're not going to tie it to a government spend schedule that, that, that slows you down. Uh, so that's if you want to work in defense. And then just if you want to work in technology on interesting problems, there's really not many places better to do so than Andrel. Like we, we, we get access to very fascinating problems. A lot of them you probably haven't even heard about because your government doesn't necessarily want to publicize that their problems. I mean, it, if you want to work on problems that matter and you want to work on cool technology... Defense is a great place to do it. And if you want to work in defense, I can't think of a better place than Andrel. That'd be my pitch to you guys. We will not take you for granted. We will take care of you, and you will have a lot of fun. It'll be spiritually fulfilling, professionally fulfilling, and fiscally fulfilling.
0: And with the engineers who would be working in Australia, would they be working specifically on the problems for the Australian in other words, the solutions for Australia, or would they be working globally?
1: So most of them would be, but the way that we're looking at our Australia expansion is not just building the things in Australia that Australia needs. Like our, our, we're we're building things also for export, and so Australia is going to be building uh, vehicles and not just dive XL AUVs, but it's going to be building other systems, other vehicles, other weapons platforms. That are going to be exported not just back to the United States but to partners around the world and so yeah the, the, I think the the core is going to be things that are useful for Australia but in a world where all of us you know we're in a world where the West is working closely with one another there's a, there's a lot of incentive for us to be using the same systems and the same technologies so that we can work together in, uh, you know, with exactly the same tools
0: We got through all of it <laughs> this is this has been A fantastic interview, Palmer. Thank you so much for your time. We'll be right back. As rising interest rates, inflation, and global complexity throw stock markets into turmoil, savvy investors are turning to alternative investments. Our crowd makes it easy for you to diversify your investments into a variety of expertly vetted, high-growth private companies across stages, geography, and industries like biotech, cybersecurity, and renewable energy. Investments like these used to be reserved for elite institutional investors, but OurCrowd has helped sophisticated investors from over 90 countries invest in growing tech companies. Every month, OurCrowd vets hundreds of companies across the globe then brings you a select few identified for their outsized growth potential. Our crowd backs these investments. They commit their own capital and they leverage their relationships with multinational corporations and global investment leaders to help drive their portfolio company's growth. Discover investment opportunities beyond the stock market. Join the fastest growing venture capital investment community in the world at ourcrowd.com Australia. That's ourcrowd.com Australia. Individual results may vary. There's no guarantee that past performance will be indicative of future results. Invest wisely. Big thanks to Twista sponsors user testing, Zendesk and OwlCrowd. Big thanks to Palmer Lucky and his whole crew for coming onto the show. This show was written and produced by Mark Pesci and beautifully mixed by Luke Station. Come visit our website at thisweekinstartups.au. It's got everything. It's got all the shows, all the interviews, all the photos, all the links to all the stories. So check it out at thisweekinstartups.au. Next time, we'll take a look at another of our world-changing startups, this one in Australia, and going from defense to an adjacent area, cybersecurity, and the need to keep all our data safe. Until then, this is Mark Pesci thanking you for listening.